Hello and welcome, guys. Thank you for joining me here for this edition of It's a Wrap. Today, we're just going to sip and chill with our special guest co-host today, Mr. Larry Coleman. Welcome to the studio. Good evening. All right, guys. So this is just a conversation that we're going to have. We know that Mr. Coleman has been um, well-known around our demographics here in Southeast Oklahoma. So Oklahoma native, and I'm just excited to sit here and have a conversation with him today in this sip and chill. And yes, I have my chill chill. <laughs> so, a little different. <laughs> go ahead, Mr. Coleman, and tell us a little bit about who you are and what it is that you do. Um, I'm a Hugo native. Born and raised uh, here in uh, Hugo, Oklahoma. Um, businessman. Uh, I own several businesses uh, here in Oklahoma. Um, been in the business for over 40 years as a barber. Um, I, many probably don't know, but I'm a uh, martial arts instructor, mixed martial arts, a master in a few different disciplines. Also, um, I've been in music for over 20-something years. I owned and operated my own record label, Untap Records. Put out several CDs, tapes as well around here in the city. Had a nice little single about my hometown that's uh, been pretty good for myself. <laughs> that's, right. that's, now, yeah. I haven't necessarily heard this hometown single personally myself, but I have heard people mention it. <laughs> Leading up to this interview about, oh, yeah. there's Hugo something. I was like, well, what is that? I never heard it. Was it was yeah. Tell me a little bit about why that was important for you. Oh, I was just representing where I'm from. Proud of uh, Hugo. Um, I love where I'm from. Um, everything about it, it's made me uh, who I am. So I was just, you know, just writing a song, putting, putting my little town on the map you know, bragging about my antics living here in Hugo. And uh, it took off and uh, it was well received. And it, uh, at the time it gave uh, myself and, and everybody in Hugo something to be proud of. And then uh, just hearing the response and seeing how people, you know, nationwide was responding to it, it even kind of blew my mind. So, but it's definitely something to be proud of. And I'm glad that I could, uh, you know, give some people of Hugo something to, Feel good about. Yeah, I heard your name mentioned in a uh, previous interview I did with uh, Adrian Gullet, and he yeah. mentioned uh, your name when I asked the question: Can anything good come out of Hugo? Ninety-one, baby. <laughs> That's ninety-one. <laughs> I appreciate that. Of course, uh, he himself is a product of Hugo. Uh, something good coming up out of Hugo. We have a lot of great things. There's a lot of history uh, in Hugo, a lot of rich history that a lot of people, I don't know if they don't know or they don't, uh, they don't speak about it much. But um, I think that needs to be something that uh, need to be spoke on often, and people should know. Uh, be proud of that. Hugo has contributed um, a lot to the country, to be honest. Um, Speaking for music myself, um, just some history that I learned um, that made me feel proud. Um, you know, the old spiritual song, um, 
Swing Low. That was written by uh, a Choctaw slave, uh, a Wallace. Uh, what is his last name? I mean, I'll get back to you on that. But yeah, wrote that song. <laughs> yeah, the, a few spirituals that are uh, folklore here uh, in the in the nation. But that was actually written by a Hugo Native. Um, Raindrops creep keep falling on my head was a Hugo Native song. Yeah. Um, the BCS um, system that they use for college football was uh, contributed by Hugo Native. Um, the circus, we call it the Circus City. Uh, I have a lyric in my uh, music where I talk about Hugo being a circus town. I mean, we're a clown. I always just known it to be a nigga town and a ball town. So <laughs> no, <laughs> they Hugo say had, circus, but everywhere yeah, I go, you know, no one mentions anything a, about the circus. Hugo is the circus town. And um, actually one of my good friends is, uh, has uh, Mondo has a lot to do with the circus, that rich history. Um, that's so much, that's the thing. A lot of people need to do their research in Hugo. Hugo has offered a lot. We have a lot of people in the political realm. Uh, the Marlboro Man, <laughs> uh, all the time you've seen the Marlboro commercials over the years, you know, growing up in the 70s and 80s and stuff, that Marlboro Man, that's a Hugo native. Um, so it's, was this it's history lot. something you were you grew up uh, knowing or being exposed to, or is this something you learned over the years as uh, you begin to uh, maybe research? Uh, um, that's something you know. I I, I, um, I did not have the privilege of growing up knowing some of the stuff. Um, as like I said, as I got off into everything that I embarked on, you know, in my uh, years of learning whatever I wanted to do. I always wanted to know, just like with my name, legit. And that's that's um, a lot of people don't know that that didn't come from rap, calling myself legit through music. It came from me being an artist through my artwork. Uh, legit, I recall about you know I was about ten years old, sitting in the park, and um, I was doing a drawing. I'd like to sit out in the park and draw pictures of you know everything going around, everything around me. And there was a gentleman from Texas that was standing over me when I was uh, drawing the scene, scenery and he liked the picture and he was like, are you selling that? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> he's like, I want to buy that from you. I was, and he's, I, I was like, $5? I don't, I just threw a number out there to me. That's a ton of money. You know how much candy I could buy with $5? <laughs> he actually gave me a $50 bill. And he's like, that is legit. First time I heard that, for some reason, that word just it just did something to me. It, it stuck with me. And he said, do you know what that means? I was like, no, you know, but I knew what legitimate meant. I've never heard that slang legit. And um, so um, he was like, sign your work. And he said, sign it, you know, legit. You need to put your name on your work. You need to let people know that this is you doing. This. So I signed it, you know, with my little, um, signature thing that I always do for all the work that I would do for pieces for my mom, I would create a signature and I put that on there and I put legit under it. And then I went home and researched uh, what it meant. I looked up the definition. I was big on reading and looking up definitions of everything. So that kind of created my history style of okay, learning. Well, everything. I must be behind because I ain't reading shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> say that, say that all the time. I read shit. Now listen, that you tell me a little bit. Yeah, somebody yeah, yeah. else tell me a little. I ain't reading it for myself, yeah. so that's out of the question. That yeah. is out of the question. <laughs> well, it did a lot for me to know that that word and and choosing a name such as legit because it's you know, being legal, authentic, you know, right, uh, something um, that is done right, and that's why I wanted to live my life by doing things right being authentic about what I do, what I present. So I was like, huh, it was perfect. So it actually became a guideline for how I wanted to live my life and and maybe kind of created a little destiny for me. When I was trying to go off to the wrong, wrong path and choose those, I was kind of led right back into the right path, not only by my upbringing, but by a name I chose to live by. A lot of us out here living with a name that has no meaning. And, um, Man, what you say? I, I, or a name that carries uh, too much baggage and too much weight, indeed. Of course, of course. Indeed. You know, and that was a weight that I needed to um, to carry. It's like legal. You know, growing up in Hugo, legal was not always uh, synonymous with my last name. Uh, so that was okay. So it gave me a um, a sense of duty, a sense of pride to. Uh, define myself by something right um, and live up to, you know, a lot of my upbringing. And so learning, learning that, reading, just studying something about Hugo. Where am I from? What is this town about? I want to know about what, it, what am I around? So I started learning. And, you know, when there aren't any mentors or even knowing what that word was or anything and that you want to be, you have to look for those things. And I wanted something to be proud of. I wanted to see who's doing something, um, who's famous, who's uh, successful, where I'm from, who looks like me and who don't. So I didn't see a lot of people that looked like me um, that reflected um, uh, what I wanted to be and what I was doing. So I, I searched those things out. You know, of course we see uh, things on TV, but it wasn't always the the bright light of it. Um, and then you start reading about people where you're from, so you can relate to what you know when you want to tag yourself to success. So you want to relate to that. Of course, that was my thing. And so when I started learning about different people, just um, people in politics, people in business, um, I was like, wow. Well, if they came from the same on the side of the tracks and I'm black and this is going on I never let that enter my mind um, that I can't uh, yes about you know growing up in Hugo I never let the word being black be an excuse for not achieving or having a disadvantage I, I just didn't have that mindset my dad used to say all the time, can't is, is not a word. We couldn't use that word. We couldn't roll with the word can't. So I didn't have that attitude. What I can't do, you can't tell me what I can't do. So I don't know if I so much heard uh, any grooming like that when I was growing up. Um, you know, it's just mom and grandmother, you know, they always just assumed I knew what I knew and that school was teaching me everything that I needed to know and whatever I set out to do, uh, they just believed in me enough to know that I could do it. 
I can't think of any role models or uh, people that I knew that I could reach out to as a mentor or coach when I started out on uh, my journey. So a lot of what I've had to do, I've had to just get out there and uh, learn by trial and error. Was there at any point someone that you reached out to to um, do what you do as far as you said you were a barber, you said that uh, you do music. Uh, mm-hmm. Who did you find along the way that could give you a hand up or uh, lay that path out to you? And um, what did that? What difference did that make in uh, your ability to sustain throughout these years? It's funny you asked that. Well, I actually started cutting hair when I was about nine years old. Um, good thing chili bowls were the thing to do. <laughs> so, uh, um, but um, no, you know, I had my my barber uh, when I was a kid, the childhood barber, of course. Uh, the guy in Paris, uh, Duck, was my barber. He was a great barber. And, um, but they never, when I went to them, uh, to ask for guidance, that wasn't a thing they did. Um, the the mentor thing, the apprentice thing, just I guess wasn't in their their heads, and it's unfortunate because I didn't have anyone to to guide me like that. I did have people encouraging me once they saw that I was serious about it and I was going to keep up the task of uh, doing that. My brothers, they were cutting hair and they were good, but it wasn't anything they wanted to do as a career. They just keeping themselves groomed up and I got tired of them uh, cutting my hair and just giving me the haircut they wanted to give me in whenever they felt like it. So I would cut my own. But what helped, what helped me... Uh, I've been known to cut a couple of heads. <laughs> yeah, I was... <laughs> I, I, I put some work in. <laughs> I cut a couple of heads a time or two. I don't know if it looked just right, so I can imagine. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, what what was my uh, my guiding process was, um, like I said, I could draw. So I was like, it, it should be easy, you know, the fading, the haircut. So I would keep a, a notebook pad with me. So when I would go to the barbershop, I would look at the haircuts and I would draw them and look at the styles that I wanted. And I would look through encyclopedias, magazines of different cuts, and I would draw them. So my attitude was, if I can draw it, then I can cut it because the, I didn't have clippers at the time. I started out with a, um, a double-edged razor, um, straight-edge razor, and um, just some shears and a comb. <laughs> and that's all I was working with doing my and hair. And somebody cut. trusted you. <laughs> oh, man, I was mean with a razor. I was I had the exacto knife. Those was like pencils to me. It was paintbrushes. I was mean. Thank God I had, you know, my friends, man, hanging in there with me. I had enough nephews that couldn't argue with me. <laughs> hey, and I was charging $2 a haircut, man, going around knocking on the doors. Hey, man, go tell your mama you need a haircut. Just $2. Sometimes I got $2. Sometimes I got uh, some food stamps or, or a meal cooked. <laughs> I got a meal. You know, that, that came along with cutting hair, mowing yards. <laughs> whatever picking up cans selling pecans it wasn't just all haircut I was hustling but I, I was determined to grind and yeah I, that sounds like a hustle indeed yeah well, I was hustling <laughs> now you said something 
uh, earlier, you said something about you had been in this for 40 years. Does that equate to uh, you starting at nine years old or, or yes. well, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm about to cross that 50 yard line. <laughs> yeah. Um, I know a lot of people find that funny because here's the thing with my attitude towards things. Um, people equate um, professionalism, uh, living a lifestyle or status or whatever, being defined about what someone else says. You know, so if you get a license or a degree from school or you graduate from school, you get a diploma. Your life starts there when you're somebody. You're you're um, legitimate. When you no, the, I don't. You can't tell me when my life starts. I determine that. So the day I decided to pick up my little clipper bag and my extension cord and my little <laughs> chair and roll around uh, my tackle box that and was your my damn razors. <laughs> And my razors, knocking on doors and, and walking around, you go asking people to, you know, get their hair cut and let me fuck their head up so I could get better. Um, the day I made a dollar, you know, from my work, like I said, I, I'd had enough practicing and I had the wherewithal to say, hey, I'm good enough to charge. And I charged $2, which I thought was a lot of money, and I earned that. So the minute I, I got paid for my work, I was in business. I was professional. I even drew a little, um, it's funny, I even drew a little barber chair, created my own little business cards out of notebook paper. I didn't know nothing about running the Kinkos or whatever. We didn't have a copy place where we can make logos. So I drew that card about a thousand times. I filled up about 55 subject notebooks with that same card. I was drawing my butt off. And uh, my logo was, my logo was my barber chair, which I have to this day, a, a, that, uh coke and barber chair it was uh professional haircuts at an amateur price that was my that was my little slang and what made me really want line. to get it that was your tag that was my tagline <laughs> professional cuts at an amateur price and uh i saw larry's barber uh school in dallas on the sign and that's what actually i wanted to get into it to own a school not to <laughs> to own a business, not to be just a barber. So that was my push. I saw my name in lights. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So that was actually, that was my drive. You saw your name and you thought they was talking about you. <laughs> That's me. I own that building. <laughs> Hell yeah. So I, I is that, I is that a Hugo thing? Because I can could, I could remember being a young child and see stuff and, yeah. oh, that's mine and that's mine. Oh, yeah. You know, that was living a game in poverty. And my sister and, Kathy would play. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mine. Get the serious uh, Roebuck magazines and play Slapjack, slapping the pages. That's mine. Claiming everything. <laughs> yeah, that was a thing. Seeing cars down the street, that's mine right there. Of course. <laughs> of course. That's dreaming. That's dreaming. Yeah, man, the yeah, life of so, a child that lives in poverty, huh? That so part. How, how was it? Uh, were your, you and your family well to do or were you all poor? I love that you asked that question the way you asked it too. Um, well, I have to start with saying, um, I lost my mom as a child. I was very young when my mom passed away. 
But the beautiful thing with that on how such a beautiful person my mom was and how my family was structured, how well knit we were, I didn't feel that what you call poverty or what society determined, what defines what poverty is. We didn't feel that. We always ate, ate well, uh, dressed well. We had a food all the time. Um, place to lay our head, running water, electricity. Uh, my life was great. I was in bliss. I didn't realize what poor was and poverty, you know, having it bad until um, after she passed away. I started understanding, oh, <laughs> this is what poor is because we fed the neighborhood. We we took care of people. She fed a lot of people. We we literally visited the sick and shut in. We didn't act church or play Christian. We did the work. You know, we went out and we took care of people. She was a kind person. She showed that. So she taught us that. You know, of course, when she left, a lot of us abandoned what we were shown. But I tried to stick to that. That's what kept me grounded and kept me from being a dickhead around here. But um, so, yeah, I didn't. I didn't understand what that was as a child. Um, I understood the struggle, you know, now that I'm older and looking at some things, I understand we were struggling, but did I feel that? Did I know that? No, I was rich with love, rich with history, rich with care, kindness. Those are the things that even today matter the most. Money don't mean nothing. Absolutely. And uh, I appreciate you. Let me just say, I appreciate you sharing that, you know, mm -hmm. uh, to lose anyone would, would be traumatic, you know, but, um, to be young and to lose uh, your primary caregiver, you know, that that's hard wrenching. Yeah. So yeah, it was I that wish. was that was hard. Still is. Still is. No doubt. Yeah. So um fast forward. Let's get into uh the man you are becoming and the uh, things that lie ahead for you. Um, when I hear people speak of you, and I've spoke to several people leading up to this interview, mm -hmm. I hear good things, but I also hear uh, you say during the first part of the interview, you said how important the name was. Mm -hmm. And so how do you balance that, your name versus your image and what people have become to know when they see you? It goes hand in hand. Like I said in the beginning, I chose the name to live by. It was actually who I was, you know, that was called upon me. I mean... So <clears throat> there's not a balance. There's a there's not a facade to put on. That's just who I am. I do it naturally. So I don't um, have an image to create or an ego to buy. I can't afford those. Um, so the work that I do is just who I am without the lights being on me. You know, it's the stuff I do in the dark. So the fact that it's um, coming to light and people... Um, are saying good things or having good praise about me. That's just the work that's done in the dark when there's no one looking. That's just who I am and who well, I've always wanted to be. Somebody say you can do a mean cut. Now I got a cut, but I let you cut this. 
I'll put you in the game. I can put you in the game. I'm doing a little something with this. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I started, also I hear a lot about I, your, your, yeah, your music. Many of them praise your music. How did the music, so to speak, give you some sort of identity or status? Or it, is the man in the music the same as the man that is portrayed here on the screen? Or is there some kind of difference? There's definitely a difference. I've grown up. When I um, was doing the music, I started out, you know, um, trying to be positive, trying to be positive. That was the thing, you know, Black Pride, uh, 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 you know, knowledge of self, you know, wanted to put out positive music. Of course, in the music business, people want to hear a lot of the stuff what's so-called going on in the hood, keeping it real. And sometimes when we allow ourselves to get caught up in that, trying to um, please people and, um, you know, rock the crowd and get people to buy your music, you, you kind of, in the music business, you get sucked into uh, putting out trash, putting out the stuff that people want to hear they you think they want to hear they're actually being programmed to hear that is detrimental to to our our own culture and i was smart enough to realize that and i had enough ignorance about myself i was hard-headed enough not to be a follower to where i was like mm, i don't care about being famous to where i'll uh sacrifice my dignity just to put stuff out and then when i realized when i started trying to talk about the the real realities of what was going on i just noticed that some of my fans especially my nephews people that i cared cared about what i was putting out in my image what i was portraying they were taking the message wrong or maybe i was putting it out there wrong i started to try to veer from that i'm not saying every bit of my music was all beautiful and pure but it was real it was reality music I didn't glorify selling drugs and killing people and um, mistreating women and all that because that's not who I was. Did I dabble in those things? Of course I did. I talked about my life. I talked about my immaturities, my um, uh, challenges as growing, trying to be a man, trying to be a young father, trying to be a businessman, wanting to grow. I try to keep that in the music and I just had to... Uh, get to the point where I always wanted to be my own boss. And so instead of just putting out whatever just to get signed, I just created my own business and I always wanted to control my own destiny. So I was afforded, yeah, I was afforded that luxury to put out what I wanted to. Um, That's kind of what I do. I like to do my own thing. (laughs) I don't want nobody boxing me in and limiting me by their own mindset and standards and all of that. Looking at your music, uh, I'm assuming it was the early part of your career. Uh, you said, what, 25 years ago or something like that? You said 91 or something I, like that. I, yeah, okay. I made it sound young. It's been a okay. <laughs> Just okay. as long. Just was, it goes hand in hand with my barber career because it, 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 the beautiful thing about it was I, I like to use um, how God designed things. Um, my gifts um made way for my life and my lifestyle, my peace of mind, my happiness, my financial situation. 
Um, those were my gifts. You know, sometimes we have a hard time trying to find our purpose or try to figure out what we want to do in life. And I just invested in my talent, my gift. Um, I feel like, you know, if you don't know what to do and you just can't get get out of that rut, the biggest thing you can hold on to is just want something. Want something. And everybody have a gift. And to understand what our gifts are, they shine a little brighter um, in the guise of talent. And then the rest is on you to turn it into a skill. You have to do your part. But if you tap into your, your gifts and you work hard on those, they're already blessed with, um, I feel, God-given strength, um, blessings, and all of that to lead you to where you need to be. And the rest is upon you to work those and stay with those. And it has worked out for me. So <clears throat> God see fit that I would have that gift of, you know, cutting hair, which I thought was uh, my purpose. It was actually my focus because, you know, being multi-talented, I was kind of like, like a scatterbrain just doing everything. One minute I'm cutting hair, one minute I'm drawing, painting, I'm dancing. Right here. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm painting clothes. Right here, so it's good to see that I'm not yeah. the only one. <laughs> oh no, 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 no. I'm designing everything. I'm doing everything, but I'm just trying to make it. I'm just, I'm putting them to work. You know, I was, that term, use it or lose it, was always big in my mind. So I tried to use every gift that I got. I thought that was my duty to God to make sure I make the best of what he gave me. So I did everything, but what uh, the haircutting did for me was gave me a focus. It kind of quieted my mind down to where I could focus straight on on what and put them all together and made it happen. The music gave me a voice um, on how to articulate what I saw and what I wanted. So I, I learned very uh, early on being a young preacher as well here too, <laughs> that it that was the same as being a musician and artist. Being too. a young what? I heard that. A young preacher. I was heavy in the church and I had that gift of being a, yeah, I knew the, by the time I was eight, I had the Bible memorized front to back by heart and uh, <laughs> doing my thing. That was my mom's desire for me to be a, a big time preacher. And she wanted her baby to be on there and so it, it came to me very early on so, so those so skills you preach speaking, through your music is, is that kind well, of that like speaking sometimes voice, that gave that your voice yeah that learning how to prepare a sermon and preaching and, and and looking for the word and feeling inspired I think that gave me a platform that gave me an understanding that uh, and a sense of responsibility of what I said and how I said it um, it carried weight and people were looking at me and also um, being somebody that respected my elders, I was held to a standard. So, and I also, I did care about what I was saying because I didn't want people to, you know, that knew me like that, just be out here just saying any kind of thing. So I didn't want to just put anything on record. Um, my bad. <laughs> shit well, me. I did care, you know. Shit. My, I had to my give a fuck it. button. Let... <laughs> well, it don't work. It took a me a while to turn ago. it off. <laughs> but, but I, but I care. The biggest thing is I, I take care of that that child that's in me. So I care about people's baby. 
So I'm not going to poison your, your child. I'm standing, I'm, you know, it was the same as being a barber. I realized that don't nobody want to bring their kid to you and, and you're a bad influence. You sitting over that kid's head and cutting their hair. And, you know, they, they looking up to you and you're a poison individual. No. So it was the same as music. So, um, I wanted, I wanted my music to speak for me, the success it brought me. They all worked hand in hand. You know, um, a lot of the famous people I met, I met through cutting hair and which opened up doors for my music. A lot of people I met through my music, I ended up being their barber, cutting their hair on the shows, making extra money when my records weren't selling. So it all kind of went together. And then, you know, with my fighting and my uh, martial arts stuff, so all of that goes hand in hand. You know, if you know anything about music and rap, exactly. Everybody want to be the tough guy, claim they hard, but no, you're not. Did you say <laughs> about six feet tall? <laughs> no, <laughs> not quite. No, little piece of tin, but I'm hard to bend. <laughs> that part. What the hell is this? What the hell little is piece that? of tin. <laughs> little strip a little, of leather. You well a little man. Together. Little piece of leather well put together. <laughs> Don't get it twisted. <laughs> that part. I used to love to tell the people on the road, thinking they tell, they say what you want. <laughs> Don't fuck up your Friday. <laughs> and it's Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Because you yeah. know, most of these artists, we see them and we adore them and all that. And we think yeah. that they six feet top, standing tall. And little dude with a big voice. <laughs> little big <laughs> voice. All the little cats want to talk to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We got the biggest voice and something to say. Little bitty dude. Yeah. I heard you yeah. say earlier how important family is to you. Do you have any children yourself? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. I have children. Um, uh, the ones that are here, they're all grown. And I have half some heaven. So, yeah. I love, I'm a father's father. Uh, husband, father, dad, mentor, big brother, all of that. Um, I'm all about my children. I don't, I don't play when it comes to my children, man. And with my family, I'm big on family. I was raised in a big family. I come from a big family, so I'm all about that. But I'm, I'm more focused on uh, parenting. I can't stand to be around guys that you can't call yourself my friend and be a a, a deadbeat dad. I don't want you around me. I don't play Bad that. Point. I don't play that. Bad point. And that that has become part of that has been part of my ministry as being a barber. I preach that. I don't care how much money you give me. If I see that you're a bad parent and you got kids you don't even deal with, I can't cut your hair. I don't really want me in my chair. Well, I'll try to encourage you, you know, through my example. And I've done that. I've been successful in that. Um that's probably what led to a lot of my philanthropy as a barber and in, in the business and music is really just trying to encourage uh, young men like myself to do better. You don't have to have a lot to do a lot. You, matter of fact, uh, one of the things I like to say is I realized I was filthy rich when I was dead broke because you'll never go broke with giving. 
never go broke. So you can do so much more with a heart to give and a and a heart of gold and a mind of billions. So Absolutely. you can have a billion thoughts in a minute. That's a dollar. Absolutely. Now you do have a nonprofit. Um, what contributed to that? How how did you uh, come up with that? Yes, I do have a nonprofit. It's called the Almanize Foundation. Um, that was birthed out of my daughter, Talitha, who is no longer with us. She passed away from lupus in 2013. And um, the Eyes Foundation, Almanize was her nickname. That's what I, what I called her. Um, I created that trying to, um, wanting to help bring awareness to lupus and other debilitating diseases that affect um, people especially people in my culture that seem to um, don't get the kind of attention uh, that it, that they need. And uh, me going through that, watching that and watched how she suffered, man, and uh, spending a lot of money back and forth, you know, going back and forth to the doctors and just in and out, man, that just tore me up. And, but the, the bravest thing, what I learned from that was she was, she told me, Dad, I don't want anybody suffering like I did. I want you to use whatever ability you have, whatever celebrity you have um, to, to bring awareness, to help people. So I created a foundation to <clears throat> maybe bring some awareness, learn learn much about it as I can. Um, I didn't know much about you know a nonprofit organization. I never really went out and did donations and asked for anything. I always put my own money on it, my own efforts behind what I was doing, doing a lot of anonymous giving and helping people. And she was like, you know, you got to come out of the shadows. I know it's nice to give and do a lot of anonymous giving for people, but um, people need to know that it's people like you out here that's doing that kind of work. They need to know who you are, that it's people like you that are out here and you need to help those people and, and let the world know. So that's what created that. Yeah, and also out of that, um, you have some kind of product line or something like that. Yeah. How does that equate to not only the nonprofit and uh, your daughter, so to speak, but also uh, you coming up with this product line that you have also? Well, being a barber, I always um, was big into creating um, different products. I wanted my customers to look different, to smell different. Um, I've always been into skincare. I didn't want people to have, you know, look, I can use some smells. <laughs> I got you. I got you. That was always a thing. <laughs> and I can use a little touch up on my. <laughs> I hook you up. Hit that little line for you. I got you. <laughs> yeah. I, um, yeah, that was created. It developed even more after trying to create a product to help her with a lot of the issues she was facing with her skin, having discoid lupus in the beginning, she would um, <clears throat> have a lot of scars and a lot of issues with her skin. And I was trying to, um, you know, just help my baby, you know, ease her pain, ease her suffering, help her confidence. And I ended up over time developing a, a series of products that, that did that. And that's what, that's why she was like, you got to help people. This works. 
Um, you help me get my confidence back. Uh, it works. I see how it's doing. You need to put it out and, and do your thing. So that that gift, you know, being in the barber business, understanding skin and hair, and then having a purpose behind it, uh, a real purpose driving me, you know, to, to help my child. I wasn't thinking about putting out a product line. I was actually being a father trying to help their child. But that legitimate look product line came out after that, you know, because of that. So I continue to push that and the proceeds that I do make from that goes towards the, the nonprofit that helps feed the nonprofit in which the, you know, resources that I use from that is to help people. That was a purpose. I don't have any hidden agendas. Um, it is what it is. I use it for that purpose only. So if it becomes a huge success, then the people that I, want to help and I choose to help will have a huge success, you know, uh, a huge support behind in their efforts and their, their causes. And that's what it's for. Man, who knew? <laughs> it's all I'm going to say. You shared some uh, really intimate uh, details and accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I always say, you know, people look at us in the light of things in the spotlight, and they perceive us as being this perfect uh, human without yeah. any issues and without any traumas and things like that. But our stories really, you know, even sitting here looking at myself, it runs deep and I say that. And the more I unpack layers, there's more layers to unpack and, and that, that resurface and things like that. Um, how does everything, everything you sit here and you've shared with us, I know that uh, the people that I uh, asked about you uh, don't know a lot of these details. And I'm, I'm assuming that you're private uh, because, you know, being in the spotlight, you just can't have everything out there. Um, how does that uh, play a role in you being just who you are and being confident in who you are and in your gifts, uh, knowing that your story is so rich and so uh, saturated with uh, trauma, loss, uh, but also good things. Mm -hmm. Well, <clears throat> maturing, man, is a beautiful thing. I love it. <laughs> growing old <laughs> this growing up thing I, I love it because it teaches us so much that's how you become rich when you become rich in knowledge and what you call trauma and loss if you um not only live through it we we live through it we go through it um and it's okay to go through things but come out living through those things, remaining positive, um, not looking like those things have gone through you, if that makes any sense. A lot of us um, have tragedies hit us. You just have to understand they're going to happen. And I had to do that when I got to a point where I was like, man, this is, this is tough. But then, you know, I was about to break down, but I've gone through so much loss to where it was 
not that I'm heartless or numb to it. It's just a fact. It's like life is going to happen. Death is a process. It's a natural process. Instead of doing all that crying and boo-hooing and closing your eyes and all of that stuff, open your eyes and look at the process and see what's happening around you. See what gifts comes with those losses because there are gifts. There was a reason. And I just embraced that duty. There's a reason I'm here. I have a purpose. I have a duty. And um, so being private and what, how people perceive me as uh, a celebrity or whatever you want to think and holding it together. No, I'm transparent, man. That's why I can speak uh, on it now because I, I do understand it. Not everyone deal with uh, tragedy the same or they're equipped to handle it. And, and it might not be in their cards to survive it. And it's unfortunate, but the fact that I surviving it and I've survived some tragedy, some losses, some pain, some struggles. Um, and I'm trying, I've triumphed and I'm winning with those things and I continue to win. And the beautiful thing that I'm thankful for is that I, I've gone through those things and I've came through still with the desire to give and be thankful and being a kind person, not bitter. Um, and that's merely because when I was going through those things, when those things were coming my way, I, um, wanting to do better, I did one thing and I hear me when I say this, when we talk about being better and wanting to do great, that means everyone involved, right? That means everybody involved. And I wanted to help everyone, everybody around me. I've always been that type of person. And I have a God principle life. That's all things. God is everything. So when we talk about better, I had no room to talk about I, 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 what has happened to I, I, I. When we do that, it's I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to do my life. I'm closing my circle. I'm trying to get all this negative out of my life. You can't spell bitter with an I. Not better. We we claim we want to be better, but when you stick that I in there, it'll slip right in on you. And and if you ever pay attention, most people you talk to that are so-called better and then those individual better people are actually bitter. Bitter people. And I just didn't want to be a bitter person. There's were times when that tried to creep in my spirit. And I just didn't like how it looked. I didn't like how I looked on that. And uh, well, it didn't look good on me either. So I had to change the bitter to I don't give a fuck. How about you? <laughs> yeah, so I, I just I don't I give a shit give a fuck now. So my give a fuck button is. definitely broke. Yeah, now, I broke it. We're going to have to uh, wrap this interview up. I'd like to have you back to uh, dig in a I little bit more. Um, yeah. But, but just as we're wrapping up here today on this segment, um, on this Sip and Chill <laughs> episode, hell, I done drunk a whole half gallon of wine. <laughs> this is ginger ale, you guys. I'm, I'm stunting and acting like I'm stunting. Man. Um, so just that's, as that's we're how wrapping you stay up. pretty. Uh, that part where hell, I might need to try that, try some ginger ale, put that damn wine bottle down, and you know, fuck me <laughs> yeah, up. No, 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 no. 
another roll with a glass of wine. <laughs> but yeah. Nonetheless, uh, where yeah. do you see yourself in the next 10 years uh, with everything that you have going on? You you said you were what, uh, hidden half a century. Next 10 years, what does that look like? And uh, uh, is there any music in your future? Of course, uh, got to. So in the next 10 years, it's not that I, I don't want to say um, I'm not looking for the future because I am. I do have a plan for the future, but what I talked about maturing and how beautiful it is, I am of the mindset of seeing myself in the next 10 minutes, succeeding in increments. You know, I have a plan that I can conquer in 10 minutes, then I'll take 10 days, 10 hours, 10 days, 10 months. And if I can do them like that, then hey, a lot of us want 20 million, but we can't even do well with $20. So it's the same of life. So I'm, succeed I'm succeeding right now. I'm living well right now. I'm doing well right now. My mind is good right now. So in the next 10 minutes, it's the same. In the next 10 hours, it's the same. So if that makes any sense, if it don't, uh, I don't really give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it don't, we'll, we'll tackle that one in the next one. We'll I'd like to have you back episode. if you come back and just have a Most sit down with me. I'd like to dig in a little more. I appreciate everything that you've shared here on the platform today. Any last words of encouragement for the listening audience uh, before we wrap it up? Yeah. Um, I, ha I have to always tag and promote my book. You'll see that coming. My birthday party, uh, Fifty Shades of Me, celebrating that. Um, and those that are that know me, that are around, I'd love to have you there. There will be music. I'm back in the studio recording, uh, doing more art, painting, and all of that. But I like to say this to the listening audience uh, to live by a quote that'll be in my book that you can and will purchase. <laughs> so. <laughs> I like to leave with this, um, with uh, having a clear spirit, a good heart, and a mind to succeed and going through triumph, uh, tragedies and things like that. And it's simply to say, make your anger so expensive that no one can afford it and your kindness so cheap that almost anyone can have it for free. Thank you. And with that being said, what's done is done. What's said is said, and it's a wrap. It's a wrap.